Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and I'm in the Spurgeon Library studio once again with my colleague and friend, Ronnie Kurtz, who keeps checking his phone. Is there, is there something more? Is there someplace important you got to be, brother? No, no, you, no. You need this to be is, someplace other than with I'm me. I, I really do care I that people like don't. I feel like we're out, and you keep looking at your phone, and I just feel I'm unheard. so sorry. <laughs> no, you're a very busy guy and a very important guy. I know that. And, and I, I, honestly, I feel a little paranoid. I don't get as many texts as you do. So I'm, <laughs> you clearly, I'm clearly not as important. <laughs> That's what it is. We'll go with that. Yeah. You know, something we discovered, um, this is going to be an interesting episode, um, but I thought it might be fun. Last time around, we tried playing with this new board, and we couldn't get it to do anything because I'm technical. This is why you don't put a board in front of me. That's right. Um, it's very complicated. Um, but now we know how to do some things. It's dangerous. So you say something funny. <laughs> that was actually not the button that I was looking for. We, See, we, you know how to use this board well. So here's the uh, – yeah, so Matt, our studio engineer, is trying to point me which button to push. This is why you should be pushing the buttons because I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, That's not – no, That's you it. don't say anything. That's good. There it is. <laughs> we got a laugh track now, friends. It's going to be just this like a sitcom from the so 70s. Dangerous I know. The future it is. Of the what, what, is, podcast. what does this one do? Oh, it's like the music. Hey. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's like an alternative jingle. Show them the freaky gate. If you don't like the, uh, yeah. I, well, we couldn't figure out what this sound effect is. We don't know what this is for or it's, why you would ever need this sound. It's a chirpy bird or a creaky gate. I can't figure out what it is, but in any event. Yeah. Thank you, Adoring Public. It's time for another episode of the For the Church podcast. Um, this is going to be an awkward transition because we're talking about a fairly serious, significant figure, and we just were messing around on the sound effects. But I know that you'll indulge us a little bit of uh, fun and shenanigans on the podcast. We're talking about, actually, um, and in my estimation, uh, not that my word counts for um, you know absolute uh, rule, but um, I think... It, um, one of, if not the greatest figure in American church history that most people have never heard of. It's fascinating to me um, that when you bring up this person's name, um, people who are into American church history say, never heard of him. Yeah, um, It shouldn't be because I hadn't heard of him until about six or seven years ago, maybe a little bit l- longer than that, um, but actually didn't really start doing a lot of research or, or um, investigation into him until probably about three years ago or so. Um, but the fellow's name is Lemuel Haynes. And Lemuel Haynes is quite a significant figure in American church history, actually. Um, was born in 1753, uh, fought in the Revolutionary War, uh, was a devotee of George Washington. Probably the most significant thing in terms of American history period, not just American church history, is that Lemuel Haynes was the first um, black pastor of an all-white congregation um, he was also the first ordained black man, as far as we know, that we have wow. records of um, in, in, in America. Um, also the first black man to be awarded a, an honorary master's degree hmm. in America, uh, which was by Middlebury College um, in Vermont. I became familiar somewhat with um, the history of Lemuel Haynes when I was pastoring in Vermont and just trying to do some research about the state and what the you know religious history of the state was. I just kind of like to know where I'm at and some of the context and you know, uh, in particular, the, the theological tradition of where I am. And this name came up, and actually, uh, Lemuel Haynes pastored um, for nearly 30 years in in uh, West Rutland, which is actually, I lived like six minutes from West Rutland. In fact, my post office 
was officially the West Rutland Post Office, even though I lived in the next town over, which was Ira, Vermont, because we didn't have a post office in Ira, Vermont, <laughs> but West Rutland did. And so I, I just lived in his stomping grounds. Wow. Um, I'm wondering, um, Ronnie, like when was the first time that you heard about Lemuel Haynes? Yeah, I think I'm probably uh, stereotypical with the rest of America. It was, it, I've probably only been familiar with Haynes for a, a couple of years, and which is a shame, you know, yeah. that, that, that a person can go through uh, – Bible college and, and even seminary and, and not hear this figure's name. And so and, – and it's unfortunate too because once you find him, you find out quickly that there's a, there's a bit of a treasure trove here. Yes. And so I think that uh, the the title of this podcast, you know, the the, the greatest figure in, in American church history you've never heard of is right. Yeah. And, and so let me ask you, Jared, why why do you think that people haven't heard of him? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is he's right in the era. Actually, he's on the tail end of the era of kind of the the New England New Divinity. And so there's, you know, there's two figures that cast a gigantic shadow over that entire period. There's other names we know quite a bit about, but Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield are really just the towering figures mm-hmm. of, of that time period. And the uh, the amount of work that they did, their reputation, the following that they had, in particular Whitfield's following, but Edwards's, um, you know, prodigious publication, of course, all of that just far outshadowed. So just to give sort of a, um, you know, a time frame of what we're working with here, right? So Haynes was born in 1753. Um, he, he was five years old when Jonathan Edwards dies. Um, Edwards dies in, in 1758. He was 17 years old when George Whitfield died. So Haynes is on the tail end of their lifespan. He's a young man when they pass. Um, and so he's kind of seen um, – I know sometimes it's, it, it, it's shaky even to consider Edwards and, and to some extent Whitfield as part of the, you know, the American Puritan tradition. But they're in the Puritan tradition whether we yeah. can consider them Puritans or not. That's right. Um, you know, chronologically, they're not Puritans. But they're in the Puritan tradition. Um, Haynes is it, it's sort of like the last figure in that, in that tradition and okay. it's often called the Black Puritan actually. Um, but I think, you know, one reason why we don't know a whole lot about him is because Edwards and Whitfield are just gigantic figures, yeah. and in particular in the in, in the first Great Awakening, and so just historically, their outsized accomplishments sort of overshadow. Whereas okay. Haynes, uh, he wasn't a traveling preacher, at least for most of his ministry, he was not. Towards the tail end, he was somewhat of an itinerant um, and had a good reputation in his area, but certainly was not you know, packing in thousands and thousands of people like Whitfield was. His publishing reach was not as, um, uh, you know, extenuous as as, uh, as Jonathan Edwards. And there's no like, oh, that's the sermon that sort of, you know, you know broke open a you know, particular cataract in the in, in the First Great Awakening or something like that, where we look at sinners in the hands of an angry God or Absolutely. Um, the excellencies of Christ or something like that. The other thing, though, is, is simply because of his ministry scale, because um, Haynes um, preached in a somewhat less um, il- illustrious place. Um, he's in a village in Vermont as opposed to Northampton, Massachusetts, for instance. And he pastored for 30-something years among a growing parish that had somewhat stabilized out. Um, but there wasn't anything sort of, you know, there wasn't any significant revival. There were some little periods of, of, of growth that they characterize as revival, but not like on the scale that we see Absolutely. in some of the figures that we look back on. And so he was just a faithful kind of kept his head down preacher. So that's one reason why, you know, we don't, you know, think of him. Um, you know, I do think it's unjust we don't think of him because of 
um, you know, the fact that he was an African-American preacher in a colonial era yeah. um, with a, a very successful ministry in his own right. But maybe the most significant reason most people have not heard of him is because he does not leave behind a significant body of work. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't write a book, at least not in his own name. Uh, we, maybe we can talk about that later. There's perhaps a book um, that he wrote most of that's actually attributed to someone else, which really? is an interesting little story. Yeah, um, His name is on the book, but not as the author, which is interesting. Okay. Um, but he doesn't leave behind a book. Um, as far as we can tell, historically, looking at the records we have, we do have some remnants of his writing, um, but he doesn't leave behind a vast collection of sermons. And in fact, he was largely an extemporaneous preacher who manuscripted after the fact. So it's very rare for him to take a manuscript into into the pulpit or even to care about what happened to the outline that he was using, whereas Edwards seemed to be like a meticulous keeper of all these sorts of records and archives. And we have really strange um, artifacts from the Edwards family and, and the things that he created. But unlike Edwards, he didn't write books. He wasn't, you know, you know chronicling a whole lot. Um, but what he did have was likely lost in a fire. So even uh. even he, if he manuscripted after the fact, um, there was a um, a significant fire that that most of his written material was burned up in, and he seemed to take it in stride. There was a particular fellow who was commenting on on all of the work that he had done that went up in the fire, and uh, and Haynes was noted to say that uh, it gave more light in the fire than it ever did from the pulpit. So wow, <laughs> he was a pretty self deprecating <laughs> fellow, at it. least. Uh, but that may be actually a pretty significant reason why Absolutely. we don't have a whole lot from him. Um, and so it, it's just a shame because what we do have from him is so good and 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 such, um, you know, so rich with the gospel. He's writing in the same sort of, um, you know, the New Light kind of tradition. Um, he's a, He was a, a fan to some extent of Edwards, but he's following in, in a kind of Edwardsian theology. Mm-hmm. Um, his The sermons that we have from him, read a, a, a little more like Whitfield's in that they're not as systematic and, and orderly and kind of um, uh, you know, cerebral, so to speak, um, but more kind of putting things down on the on the bottom shelf and, and uh, simple, some storytelling, uh, but just kind of straightforward expositions. Yeah. He would you know begin with a verse or two. Um, and so we have a few things left, but those are out of print. So that's another reason why we don't know too much about him. Um, there's only in the last probably 10, 15 years been uh, maybe two or three uh, works that reprint some of his material. Wow! So a few years ago, the Bidianibuile did a little selection of uh, it was essentially excerpts from some of Haynes's writing. So there was no complete, um, you know, no complete text of anything in there. Um, and then the also has another book that highlighted uh, three African American pastors in American church history. Uh, one of which was Haynes, and there are two or three sermons in that selection. But the collection of Haynes's sermons, which is uh, was collected and published by a fellow by the name of Richard Newman, um, that's been out of print for years. So th- you know that's not something you can just go on Amazon and find. Um, sometimes you can find used copies out there, but it's very difficult to find. And there's not a lot of historians doing a lot of work on him. John Salent is a fellow who has done the most historical research. His uh, biography of Haynes, which is only one of two substantive biographies ever written. So in wow. 200 years, there's only been two, one of which was published uh, seven years after Haynes died. The other one was published about 1990 or so. <laughs> so we have this vast time period where there's just nothing on him. 
And the work we have from Salent is largely from the, you know, I, I don't know anything about Salent's uh, religious affiliation or anything like that, but it's written from a secular, um, you know, academic historian's perspective. So he touches on his theology, but it's certainly not written from an, you know, evangelical perspective. So you add all that together and you just have a figure that American Christians ought to know about that they don't. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that's so helpful. And you mentioned, you mentioned the shadowing figures, the, those towers that are, Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield, yeah. and uh, one of my favorite stories about Haynes is his being mistaken. Yeah, that's right for Edwards and Whitfield. I wondered if you could tell us that story. Yeah, so you know, w- just to give some background on how Haynes was raised, right? So we, we 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 don't know who his mother and father were. There has been some historical investigation into who his mother was, and there are some theories out there, but it's just never been definitive. And even he told a story about meeting his mother after he was grown. And um, she not receiving that meeting very well. But even in that story, he doesn't identify um, who she was. And I don't know if that's just to protect her or just out of embarrassment for himself. Um, but he was the product of a white mother and an African father. And we don't know his father's name. We don't know if his father was a slave or a freedman. Um, but Haynes was basically abandoned by his mother and um, the fellow who uh, received Haynes and his abandonment sold him into indentured servitude as an infant. Mm. And by God's providence, and, and Haynes would say this as well, uh, the family that you know bought him as an indentured servant um, was a Christian family. Uh, David Rose was the um, was the patriarch of that family. He was a, a blind farmer. And they raised Haynes, by all indications, apart from being an indentured servant, as one of their own. Haynes would say the same thing. They raised me as one of their own. And some people even believe that Haynes was the favored child, um, I think partly because of his spiritual inclinations. So, he, you know, he worked in the fields. He worked on the farm. And at night, one thing that was very, um, you know, different or unique is that Haynes was a very studious child. So when he was done working, while the other kids would go play, he would sit. He's often called a disciple of the chimney corner because he would sit in in the, in the hearth space and read whatever he could find. So he was taught to read. He was taken to church. He was given um, a, a lot of similar freedoms to the natural children of the of that family. And um, as he became adept more at reading and writing himself, um, he began sort of not leading but doing the recitations or the readings during the family devotion time. So the Rose family would have family worship time. Um, Haynes um, was quite taken to, you know, reading selections from different sermons that, that were being published at the time or um, m- maybe just passages of Scripture. And one day he decided he was going to slip in his own, his own work um, into the message uh, uh, or into the family devotion. And um, essentially what happened was at the end, which you're alluding to, is at the end of the, the message that, you know, the family enjoyed it so much, they were trying to identify who the author of it was. And they said, was that a was that a Jonathan Edwards? And he said, no, it was not. And they asked about another particular uh, preacher at the time. I uh, said, no, it was not. Well, they asked, well, who wrote it? And he said, it, it, it was a Haynes. And mm-hmm. it was his own. And we actually have the outline I of that it. message. Um, it, essentially, he's, he's um, you know, writing the message from uh, 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 John's gospel entitled, Ye Must Be Born Again. And it was just as this neat, simple exposition of the gospel storyline, why we need the new birth, what happens when we receive the new birth, how Christ gives the new birth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's like the first sermon that he ever, quote-unquote, preached. Wow. Yeah. And eventually Haynes, um, you know, received his, his freedom, his, his um, uh, indenture 
um, was fulfilled, and he stayed at the farm. He, you know, for a while before he decided to enlist um, in in the army and go to war um, and serve his country as as he saw himself as a patriot. Um, but you know, given his um, his state with the family, he stayed to help them with the farm and receive payment and was part of the family and that sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. That's great. I, I love that story. And uh, yeah, it just shows how good of a writer he must have been. I mean, if we've, if you've read Edwards, yeah. you know how studious those sermons are. And right. so for, for Haynes to be confused with that, oh, I just love it. And that line, you know, it was a Haynes. It was a Haynes. That, that is just so good. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I got chills the first time I heard it. Well, hey, let's take a break before we – I have a few more questions for you, and uh, this is just so fun. It feels uh, like just story time. Yeah, already. <laughs> with Lemuel Haynes. So let's take a break uh, here from our sponsor at Midwestern Seminary, and we'll, we'll come back. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry contact. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're talking about one of the significant, if not the most significant figure in American church history that you may have never heard of. Um, Maybe you have heard of him, but my guess is that most people have not, or if they've heard the name, they don't know too much about him. His name is Lemuel Haynes, and most notable for being the first black pastor of an all-white congregation um, in the state of Vermont, he also pastored uh, at the end of his life in Connecticut, which is actually technically where he was from, but spent most of his ministry life in the state of Vermont, um, pastoring at one church, it, mm. the West Rutland um, Church, which is a congregational church, um, you know, pastored there in, in the parish, and um, was quite a significant figure that yeah. we should know more about. Absolutely. Yeah, I know this is a difficult question, Jared, but if you were forced to kind of distill the essence of Haynes' ministry into a few themes. Uh, what would you say were the themes of his ministry? Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is there is quite a, a controversy among the handful of scholars who have written about Haynes, and most of what we have are in a, just a few journal articles. So I've been working, um, you know, doing some research on him, in particular as I, um, you know, pursue my doctor of ministry at Midwestern, one of the things that I've been sort of proposing to study is uh, the homiletics of Lemuel Haynes. Absolutely. And w- w- one thing you notice uh, throughout is a concern for the political cultural context of the time. But depending on what scholar you listen to, Haynes is either very interested in that or not interested in that at all. So it's very strange that we he doesn't have an extensive body of work, and what we have has sort of engendered this little debate about how political he really was or really? wasn't. So, for instance, there's uh, one scholar in a journal article who um, who said that um, Haynes never really spoke about you know, the issue of slavery, for instance, or wasn't very passionate about slavery. And then we have others who say his concern for um, African Americans in, in colonial America was the driving motivation wow. <laughs> of his theme. And probably somewhere in the middle is is the truth. So as I read um, what we have available of what he's written, 
one of the things that you discover is um, he seemed to have a very good um, handle on compartmentalizing how political to be um, in the pulpit and out. Mm. So we have a lot of anecdotes, in particular in that first biography, from, um, which is written by Timothy Mather Cooley, who was himself a child when Haynes was first um, brought into ministry. So he's younger than Haynes and grew up sort of admiring Haynes and later became a, a friend of his and then became his official biographer um, after Haynes passed. And one thing we see in, in, in Cooley's biography is a, a few anecdotes where Haynes claims to hate politics and to feel like it's very divisive. He would say things like, my church has given too much to politics. So if you're thinking about, like, is there a resonance for today, right? You know, is there anything we can apply to today? You have a pastor who himself has a lot of political opinions, so he's not apolitical. Yeah. And yet he feels like this is such a thing that that can actually divide. And his his larger concern is that it's diluting people's affections for Christ. Mm. He, he has a revivalistic sense. He wants people to be stirred in their affections, to be spiritual, um, which they would use that word differently than we would today. But um, you know, to see the spiritual movements of people, and he just felt like an, that they had an inordinate interest in politics. But it's very odd because if you look at his outside pulpit writing, so we have some things that that Haynes wrote that were not sermons, but um, either articles for you know for publication, uh, typically in the newspapers of his day, um, or various political type tracts or addresses. He would give addresses at, for instance, the George Washington Society and those sorts of things. Um, so one of the Remaining manuscripts we have is a tribute that he wrote to Washington that was delivered, um, you know, at a particular, uh, you know, gathering of politically minded people. So he was a politically minded person and yet kept that out of the pulpit. But in both cases, in his political writings exterior to the church and his um, homiletic work inside the church, there is a concern for things like justice. There's a concern for things like bringing the righteousness of God to bear on the earth. Um, Haynes was not, um, as far as we can tell, you know, post-millennial in his um, eschatology, and yet he had a very optimistic view. There's this optimism about what God is doing in the world, um, uh, you know, an expectation of the new heavens and the new earth. Mm. Um, he has a very heightened sense of the kingdom of God coming to bear on earth. And so um, he's not preaching any kind of what we would call today like social justice or anything like that. Um, and again, he 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 very rarely even mentions kind of uh, the you know political world or political machinations or or, or anything like that in his uh, in his official sermons. And yet, one of the earliest writings we have from him, um, written we think in 1776, um, is a uh, a political tract of uh, essentially a philosophical tract calling for the liberation of uh, of the slaves. It's called Liberty Further Extended. And essentially what Haynes was arguing, because he believed in the American experiment and, and was himself a patriot, he was essentially saying, we believe that God has um, given all men inalienable rights and created all men as equals. And if we really believe that, um, the emancipation of the slaves is, um, is actually in keeping with our American patriotic values. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not right for That's us great. to enslave. Now, he himself was not a slave. Um, he pastored for the most part in Vermont, which uh, for most of its history did not have um, legal slavery. So um, some people will say, like, how could he be so silent on this issue after that? So very early on, he wrote this tract, which as far as we can tell, is one of the earliest abolitionist tracts from a black um, you know, speaker, black thinker in American history. He, he predates 
Frederick Douglass by quite a bit. He's somewhat of a contemporary with Phyllis Wheatley, um, but it's a very strident, very um, theological case and political case against slavery written in 1776 by a black man, which is just – if you just think about it, it's just a radical thing to have written. But then some will say, well, he didn't say home, home a lot about that for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And some would say, well, that's likely because his ministry context was at a place where slavery wasn't illegal um, or, 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 yeah, where, where it wasn't legal. And therefore, you know, he didn't feel the pressing concern to do that. And yet the themes of justice and the kingdom of God changing the way we live and, and behave um, certainly are brought to bear wow. in, in his writings ever after. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. So so for the listener then who, I mean, even even me hearing, hearing you talk about this, is like, I, I just want to read more. Yeah. Uh, where, where does the person who's brand new to Haynes begin? Yeah, so if you're brand new, I, I would recommend... Um, it's a little book by Luke Walker, which is in a series of basically like Puritan biographies, and it's called Black Puritan. Okay. And it was published in the last um, two or three years, and it's basically kind of a Cliff's Notes version um, of the Cooley biography, which came out like seven years after Haynes died. So Walker um, has taken some of the highlights of Haynes's life, and there's some great stories in there that, you know, um, some of the most famous um, exploits of Haynes involve a public feud with the Universalist, where that began with this guy preaching universalism from Haynes's pulpit, and he got um, – it just kind of gives you a clue of how congregational the system worked in. He didn't even know this guy was preaching. He was out the, you know, the Congregationist Society or, or, you know, assigned this guy to come preach there, and he was a very noted universalist. Haynes found out, didn't like it, and went and um, delivered a, a sort of a rebuttal sermon after his sermon, which is also uh, one of his more famous uh, uh, sermons still surviving. Um, but they ended up in this public feud, writing letters back and forth in the newspaper, and so we have you know, some of those things um, still published. Uh, he was involved after his time in West Rutland. He spent some time in Manchester, Vermont, where he got embroiled in, in really kind of a true crime type story, <laughs> which I discovered that just in the last year. Um, it was I'm just sure fascinating. <laughs> it, well, it was. It really is because I love true crime and <laughs> I love right. Lemuel Hayes. And here they meet. It's like peanut butter and chocolate meeting together. Um, it was a match made in heaven. Yeah. So there's a guy who um, who disappeared, and the story was that he was murdered, and they they found his brothers in law. There's these two guys who were the brothers of this guy's quote unquote widow, and eventually one of the guys confessed. It's like, yeah, we murdered him in a field and hid the body, and so these two guys were convicted. One of them, the you know, they were both sentenced to death. One of them, his sentence was commuted to life in prison. The other guy was about to, you know, be hanged. And Haynes was concerned for his soul and started visiting this guy in prison to share the gospel with him. Boy, and after, yeah, through getting to know him, came to um, actually believe that he was innocent, that he didn't do it. And so he's stumping for this guy's innocence. And everyone's like, you're, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Of course he's going to say he's innocent. He confessed. He said how he killed the guy and yeah. all these things. Well, lo and behold, like this guy's like like two months from you know from being hanged to death. And the guy who supposedly was murdered shows back up in town. He had like he, he had some, you know, he was kind of uh, crazy, and um, but he just like wandered off, went to like Rhode Island or something. And of course, this wasn't the day where like you just look someone up on Facebook yeah, and see what course, they're doing, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah, they thought he was murdered. Like three years later, he comes back to town. He's alive. True and, crime. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get. It's amazing. And Haynes, Haynes wrote a sermon. <laughs> Uh, called The Prisoner Set Free. What? And he told this story. He basically used it as an extended illustration about justice and about what it feels like um, to be imprisoned and wow. all these sorts of things and then what happens when you're finally let 
let free. And all, I mean, it's just is an amazing uh, kind of story. And so you get little bits of those and some other things in Luke Walker's little bio. It's called Black Puritan. You can easily find it on Amazon. Um, it's a little book, probably about eight or nine dollars, actually. That's probably the best readily available intro. Hmm. Um, and then uh, Thibidi Anyabuile has got a couple of books, including one that has little selections. Um, that's what's in print. The best stuff is actually out of print. And if you're able to find it, um, yeah, you should really jump on it because, uh, you know, he really is a significant, important figure to wow. know more about. Well, let's end it on this note, Jared. I know that you've um, – I've heard you speak about Haynes. I know that you've been uh, – neck deep into the research, the literature, and I know you plan to write more. And so just to, on a personal note, why why Haynes? Uh, there's a lot of figures in church history that are going unnoticed. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of figures that you could spend your doctoral degree on, uh, but you've you've chosen this particular figure. So even just on a personal note, take us take us home and just yeah. answer the question why why him? So two or three things come to mind. The first is I had the personal connection of having ministered and pastored a church just a few miles down the road from where he did. So I felt like I was in his shadow already. He's the most significant figure in Vermont church history for sure, um, you know, period, uh, out of anybody, black, white, anything. Um, so I had that personal connection. I just thought this is a guy who's been here. He's part of the rich tapestry of um, New England theology in the state um, and almost the town that I lived in. So I wanted to know more about him. And so it, it became somewhat personal yeah. in that regard. I almost felt like it was part of the ecclesiological family tree for me of getting to know my ancestor there. Um, the other piece is is that his theology is great. He, he's not, again, as published. Uh, we don't have as, as many artifacts. We don't have as much from him as we do like from an Edwards. But you get the Edwardsian theology with a Spurgeonic wit. Mm. So the more you read from him, Edwards, as far as I can tell, was not a funny guy. And I, <laughs> I love Jonathan Edwards. Uh, I've read most of Jonathan Edwards, um, uh, uh, the books that he wrote, um, perhaps not all of his sermons. But you don't find sinners in the hands of an angry God hilarious? No, I don't. And there's very little else. I find it beautiful and stirring of my affections for Christ. Um, but in Haynes, I find more of a personality Absolutely. that matches my my own, if mm. that makes sense. Or I I aspire to match his which is he has a very Luther slash Spurgeon kind of self-deprecation, but also a, a sarcasm that yeah. he wielded um, pretty you know wide as well. And it was very devastating. He was kind of known for, um, yeah, just being quick with a rebuttal and with a reply and with a retort. And so when you start seeing all this stuff, you just think, man, this guy's so funny. And the, the deeper I began to research him, the more I just began to love him. I was just like, I, I wish I knew him. I wish I was a contemporary of his. Everyone who knew him loved him. Um, you know, the way that he um, left his, you know, the church in West Rutland was somewhat of an un unceremonious exit. And depending on who you look to or listen to, including Haynes himself, he described it in different ways at different times, whereas it looks like he resigned and was ready to move on, um, but then later um, sort of characterized it as being kind of rejected and pushed out. And he attributed it at first to changing political tastes. He was always a Federalist and staunch Federalist, and that was not in fashion. Um, he was sort of anti-Jeffersonian, um, and some of his politics was more a devotee of Washington, Hamilton, those sorts of things, that there may be changing political tastes in the culture of Vermont that made him kind of an old guard. So he was an old fogey. If you just want to put it in today's terms, this doesn't quite relate, but it's, it's like they got more liberal, and he was the old conservative, mm -hmm. and basically um, he just didn't fit. But he also later attributed it to racism as well. Um, 
that um, the novelty of having a black pastor wore off, mm. and they didn't take him as seriously anymore, and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, the way that he, you know, sort of left the church. But aside from all of that, um, it's very rare to find anyone speaking negatively about him, except for heretics. <laughs> Hosea <laughs> Ballou, the Universalist, had the worst things to say about him. Um, but there wasn't anyone who would say, "Man, he, you know, he um, he was a jerk or, or or anything like that." So. He leaves behind a great legacy. That, to me, is one of the other notable things about him, yeah. which is that you almost have to do an asterisk on any other figure of that time um, and a lot of other figures besides. Man, his theology was great, but yep. there was this. Um, you know, oh, man, I love what he wrote on that, and but you all, you know, you have to always be making this kind of an apology That's right. or thinking, yeah, there's also this. We want to keep that in mind as well. We don't want to have blinders. You don't have to do that with Lemuel Haynes. There's no, <laughs> there's no moral failing um, there's certainly, uh, you know, as a black man, he's not keeping slaves or anything like that. So you don't, you just look back and think, here's a guy, he was a great family man. You look at what his kids said about him afterwards. He married a white school teacher. They had, uh, numerous children. Um, and if you look at the heritage that he left, his kids loved him. They adored wow. him. Um, his, his friends and the ministry colleagues he had, they all loved him. Um, so he just was really highly regarded in his time. And he's one of those figures that, like, you don't have to make any kind of apology for or issue any kind of caveat about. Mm-hmm. So I love that. But just a few things that I've read, I just sense a passion. I would have loved to have heard him preach because he loves Jesus, and he just wanted you to love Jesus. Wow. That's probably the primary reason why I love I Liv Moore Haynes. That's great. That's great. Well, friends, thanks for listening uh, to this episode of the For the Church podcast. Uh, like always, uh, if, if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with a friend, leave a review. As as my friend Jared says, every little bit helps, and uh, uh, we end the podcast every way here. And it really is the hope of our podcast uh, that that Jesus would be big in your church. So thanks for listening, and until next time, uh, take care. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.